You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and we have got a lot to unpack in this particular episode. Not necessarily, you know, all bad, but, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's floating around that um, uh, we're going to have to talk about one way or the other. So let's get started. Of course, uh, the bulk of this episode will rely and revolve around WoW because that is what this has mostly become. has become a review show for their weekly program, which airs in syndication across the country with various outlets and so on and so forth. Turn this heater away from me because it's making me sweat. And... um, yeah, there's probably information you didn't need to know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and uh, this episode, with the, the ratings have come out. The ratings, which are supplied by uh, Brandon Thurston and Russell Nomics. We're going to talk about that and the overlapping uh, scope of the ratings from summer to now. Because there is a trend and is quite honestly, is probably not favorable. Uh and then we'll do the show recap and uh, probably a, a watch along, and then we'll go from there. So, let's get to what's going on. Uh, there's a couple of little side notes that I want to bring up um, because you know, it's, even though WoW is the primary focus here, that does not mean that we do not talk about you know other women's wrestling just in general. So, um, let's start off with this. Tony Khan, the lover of championship titles, has decided to introduce a new championship into the ROH, the Ring of Honor, uh, Pantheon, and that championship is now the Women's World Television Championship. Ordinarily, I would be ecstatic about this. I would be super happy. Now, I'm happy for the persons that are participating in it. I really am. But holy crap, how many championships does AEW slash Tony Khan slash ROH need? They've got so many. And, you know, I was a fan of Ring of Honor like a lot of people are or were I should say uh, because you know Ring of Honor represented the wrestling Ring of Honor was was, and it was so brilliant I forget 
you know, who the brainchild of that was. But it was so brilliant. When everybody else was out there trying to become the next ECW, they went in the complete opposite direction and said, okay, we'll, we'll make this about just wrestling. And not just wrestling, but the honor built around it. Handshake before and after the match. And so when something crazy did happen, it was a big deal. Ring of Honor was great. Loved it. Of course, you know, technically it went out of business. Tony Khan bought it. Hasn't really done a lot with it, in my opinion. It's alive, but it's not the same thing. It, it doesn't have TV anymore. It's pretty much behind a paywall. And, you know, it's in my view, and I'll just say in my view, is it exists in name only. If, if, it, if you're having to do what the WWE did with ECW and that we're just going to do tapings for this show before a SmackDown or, or after a SmackDown or Raw, whatever the case may be. Uh, it, it, it does take something away from it. I mean, and, and, and I'll be honest, there's portions of that ECW run that I'm perfectly fine with. The first month <laughs> of, of it, when it seemed like it was going to have something, I'm, I'm okay with that. The first month. Then it dropped off a cliff. But when Christian showed up on ECW, it became his own thing. It wasn't ECW. It was only ECW by name. But at least it was tolerable to watch. Ring of Honor is, is still tolerable to watch. I can't say that is a bad show necessarily. I mean, it's not like I watch it every week either because it's behind a paywall. So I don't bother with it. But in any case, you know, my my memories and, and the legacy of Ring of Honor aside, the point being of all of this is that they are now introducing a new championship, and that being the secondary title for the women in Ring of Honor, that being the Ring of Honor Women's World TV title. Uh, this was announced by Tony Khan, and they will have a tournament. And the names that are currently confirmed for that tournament is legit Layla Hirsch, the girl on fire, Kiara Hogan, Lady Frost, Rachel Ellering, and Billy Starks. All very talented women. All of them. And I am interested in seeing who will become the champion on this. If I were going to make a bet, I would say legit Layla Hirsch. I think that she's probably, she's my pick at least. Uh, I, I do love me some legit Layla Hirsch. She's, she's a phenomenal wrestler. Um, I, I, uh, I I don't know if I can speak highly enough about it. And, and really, Kara Hogan, too. I, I, Kara Hogan, uh, probably a little bit more personally because I got a chance to uh, shoot and produce some matches for her when she was just kicking off her career. So there, there is a little bit of that uh, uh, for me. Um, but the two of them, yeah, I, I, if either one of them won those, that championship, I would be very, very proud for Kira Hogan. I would be happy for Le Layla Hirsch, but I would be very proud uh, for Kira Hogan if she actually gets it because she is somebody who uh, she is a fan. 
she is an absolute fan and i don't think that uh there that could be understated and one thing i will say before i move on just just as a side note to her i really wish that the moment that she had with mickey james in the ring one-on-one had been on a pay-per-view or some big event where it could have been promoted and shown because she legitimately was a Mickey James fan. She had a she had a YouTube account that was like Mickey James fan number one or something like that before she got into the business. If you go back and you look at the interview that I did, which is probably maybe the second or third interview she did in her career, um, she talked about that. And I, I got the pictures and the video of her going to a, a Mickey James signing. And you know how the WWE loves stuff like that. But uh, you know, any other wrestling promotion could have taken advantage of it, and I can't understand why. I mean, that should have been a thing. It should have been something big. It should have been you know a, a, a great pay per view. But you know, it is what it is. Anyway, the point is, is that the you know before I get too far off track, the Ring of Honor World Women's Television Championship. Probably saying that out of order, but you get the point. It has been announced, and those are the names that are attached to it so far. Um, Trinity Fatu. I said in the last podcast that it looks like she is having a ball. I just, maybe she's not, but she, you know, anytime I see her, she looks like she is like legit just enjoying herself and enjoying doing this, you know, working different people and being different places and, and different venues. I, you know, it is just it's infectious for me to see her do what she's doing. I remember when Sting came back to uh, to wrestling. He came to TNA and he was in the Impact Zone and all that stuff. And he did a promo. I know some people like well, Sting don't cut a good promo. You know he does when he really when he's got some emotion behind it. Yes, he does. Might not do it all the time. He ain't a Jake Roberts. He's not a Ric Flair or a Dusty Rhodes or you know the people who are known for being tall. He's not that. But when he's got some motion behind it, he he can deliver the goods. And that promo, he basically said when he came back and he heard the people in the Impact Zone of all the arenas that he's been in around the world, the stadiums and the arenas and the thousands of people that he had performed in front of, that energy did not match his return to that small intimate impact zone that night when he you know came back into the ring and i remember the words at the end of it is like and those are not just words i mean what i say i get the feeling that trinity fatu is kind of in that category because she's performed in front of some huge crowds i mean huge she's been to wrestlemania and you know every pay-per-view in between but i honestly and i don't have anything to prove this with but i honestly believe that there is a different energy that she gets when she shows up at tna the impact zone i think that the words that sting spoke all those years ago apply to her now that the energy that that those that that audience gave, you know, in WrestleManias and so on and so forth, 
may not necessarily match up to the energy that that small, intimate crowd has given her right now. I mean, she, I, I legitimately love seeing her work right now. I mean, because she, she's all smiles. Just all smiles. Looks like it, it gave new life to her uh, passion and career. I, I that's bravo to her. That's all I can say. Just bravo to her, and I hope that she continues to enjoy herself. And and I'm sure she'll return back to WWE at some point. But at this time right now, bravo to her, and I hope that it it continues and that she continues to have a good time. Um, Mercedes Monet has a. Uh, pretty high asking price <laughs> to, to return uh, to to wrestling. Uh, reportedly, I'll say it, reportedly, she has a very high asking price. And now, this is not necessarily new news. Um, when she hit the independent circuit, just in general, and she was doing uh, appearances at conventions and whatnot, she had priced herself pretty exceptionally high. Uh, I don't remember what the actual number was but she she had almost essentially priced herself out so the last reported news that uh, mercedes monet had was essentially that she was asking for money uh above what charlotte flair had which would make her essentially the the highest paid um female competitor that's that's in wrestling today uh according to fightful and i want to give them credit for that according to fightful <clears throat> her reported asking price is above the amount that charlotte flair was paid in her new deal with wwe and i don't know if it's just a, a sticking point for her to be like hey look <laughs> if she's making 500 grand a year. I want 501 <laughs> just to be able to say that I make more money than her. Uh, some people do that. That That is a real thing. I know that's that's not um, <laughs> that's not something that the average person deals with. But um, yeah, I mean, we've I've heard that before. I've heard that. It's like, hey, look, if this person's making that, put a dollar on it so I can just say that I am one. I get paid more. So they didn't re- announce the amount of money that she's got, and she's still a free agent, and she clearly has gotten people who are willing to pay for her, uh, most notably, of course, New Japan. Uh, and she probably would have been there for a uh, longer period of time. Of course, we all know that she was the inaugural IWGP, uh, uh, which one? Strong, the IWGP Strong Women's Championship. She would have had that, but then she got um, uh, injured. Of course, that went over to Willow Nightingale, the former eye candy, if we want to rope that back to wow somehow. Um, uh, she, she did get her chance to hold, the, hold and become the IWGP Women's Champion. Uh, and I'm not going to be surprised at all if she winds up in AEW because I'm sure of all the people that have money to throw at getting her in there, Tony Khan is probably the most likely 
But in any case, the point here is that she has reportedly a high asking price just above what Charlotte Flair got in her WWE deal. Uh, whoever else can pick that up, that's going to be, you know, remains to be seen. But that is where we are with her right now. And, of course, uh, Impact Wrestling continues to push the uh, boundaries of their women's division. They always have ever since it has been established. That's one thing that they, the wrestling community, has always pretty much agreed on in that Impact and their women's division has pretty, been pretty high uh, caliber. And they've been on a relative pedestal, maybe without the with the exception of the what was that, 2010, when Hogan got there? Maybe with the exception of that, when Hogan and Bischoff got there and they kind of took a, a nosedive for a little bit. But by and large, they have always been set on a, a pedestal. And they've always gotten the opportunity to do uh, things within that company. You know, they're, they have their own um, uh, feast or fired. I was going to say money in the bank, but it's not It's not that. It was their, it's their equivalent to that. Um uh, that they have performed in gauntlet matches and uh, the male counterpart or the female counterpart, excuse me, of, of the male matches that exist in that company. And uh, they did this already, but they're, apparently they're coming back to it. They're going to do another Knockouts Ultimate X. So, you know, get yourself tuned in for that. Uh, if there's anything you can say about them, for all that people may have about Impact Wrestling slash TNA Wrestling, for all they may say, they cannot say that their women's division has been treated in terms of what that takes place in front of the camera. They cannot say that they have not been treated good in that regard. That you know they have given them as high a platform as Impact is capable of giving them. And that is the absolute truth. Speaking of uh, platforms and whatnot, I think um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but we'll, we'll, we'll go into the E.T. special that they just had. As I'm recording this, it aired uh, uh, yesterday. This was the WOW special that was on, on the CW. If you're not aware of it, it was called Inside and Ringside Wow Women of Wrestling. And uh it the air date was on the twenty seventh of December at eight PM. If you did not get a chance to watch it, you can go onto the CW app and you can see the special in its entirety. Um I'm gonna read the press release and then I'll go into the brief review that they had for the show. <clears throat> this is what was sent out. The revolution behind the phenomenon ensued. Ensued. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I cannot read. All right, let's, let's rewind that and try it again. The, the revolution behind the phenomenon inside the revolution that will make you say, wow, go behind the scenes with the stars of wow and how these superheroes are, overcoming all odds and how Lakers boss Jeannie Buss is on a mission to make women's wrestling a movement. 
And at the bottom is the, the normal stuff. Wow, airs the weekly national syndication. Fans can go to this link and find out where, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that was what was sent to me, and I got that the day before the um, program was going to air. So I don't know how much lead-in they were looking to try to get off of this, but, you know, I mean, we did the best we could do. Of course, WoW peppered it all over the social media, and the WoW uh, superheroes, the WoW girls did the same thing. They peppered it all over the social media to let everybody know that, hey, you know, this is this is going to be on, and you should watch it. Um, the long story of this is that if you've looked at, this is not telling you anything new. All right, let's start with that. This is not going to tell you anything new. If you saw at any point the um, My Road to WoW series or WoW, the Origins of Women's Wrestling documentary that is on Pluto TV, this is like a 40-minute condensed version of both of those. That's the best way I could describe it because it's, it's not really giving anything pertinent or different. This is a 40-minute infomercial for a while. That's pretty much what it comes down to, it, in my view. Uh, this is, you know, a, a, a hype machine for the product. Nothing wrong with that. If I had a TV show and I was trying and I had access to entertainment tonight or extra or inside edition or whoever happens to be covering, I would want them to do the same thing. I would want them to give my version of the story to whoever's watching it. Now, bear in mind, even the best of them do this. WWE, we all know, is the is the industry leader as far as wrestling is concerned. Regardless to whether you like them or not, they're the industry leader. And I've seen lots of WWE documentaries. Rise and Fall of ECW, uh, The Spectacular Legacy of the AWA, Rise and Fall of WCCW, The Monday Night Wars, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing that you can count on is, you know, they, they will ride some truth into those documentaries, but you can always count on that it's going to fit a WWE narrative. And so because of that, you learn to take certain elements of the show with a grain of salt. If they, if you're trying to be historically accurate. Example. <clears throat> According to WWE lore or their mythology, they like to paint the picture that without Vince McMahon and his vision for pro wrestling slash sports entertainment, without him wrestling would still be in armories and dark clubs or with high school gyms and this, that. And without, without his mastery and marketing and so on and so forth, they would have never gotten out of that. That is the narrative that they'd like to pitch. The truth of the matter is, is that Vincent McMahon Sr., not Kennedy McMahon, that's Jr., the one that we all know today. Vince McMahon Sr. was doing the garden at Madison Square Gardens for years before that. So they was already in an arena pretty much once a month. 
if you take him out of the equation, you still have guys like Vern Gagne, who was doing you know an arena in Minnesota. Or you could look at Jerry Jarrett, who was doing that in uh, the Memphis, the Memphis, the Mid South Coliseum. You could go to, you could look at Mid South Russell with Bill Watts. They sold out a, a stadium, an, an arena. Uh, WCCW with Fritz and the Von Erics, they did it. They did a stadium show, Pray the Champions. So the idea that, well, this would have never happened without them. They would have never gotten the opportunity to be in these big platforms without Vincent Man. The idea that that is, was something that said is, yeah, it sounds good, but it's not true. And the, the, they were already in, in uh, arenas, and they were already in the stadiums. Now, whether they sold them out or not, or how, how good or bad the house was, that might be different, and it, it will probably vary from event to event. But he is not the originator of that. Even if you just went by WWE's mythology alone, he's not the, the innovator of that. The Shea Stadium show was in a stadium. But, of course, they don't acknowledge that. They couldn't acknowledge it because, you know, they also had Hogan slamming Andre there. <laughs> when later on they had the narrative that Andre had never been slammed. So, you know, it's, it's things like that. So all of that to say, when you look at this particular show, it is going to lean very heavy into the WOW narrative of, well, you know, this the WOW is starting a revolution of women's wrestling. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't say that about themselves. They probably should. But the truth of the matter is that they're probably about 10 years behind on that. I know they wouldn't like to admit that, and, and nor should they admit it when, you know, you're talking about their wrestling product. But they're about 10 years behind. There's been other companies that have tried it. There's been other companies that have actually succeeded and propped it up and done more for some individuals rather than than uh, WoW has. Um, a brief overview of, like, let's just look at Shimmer, for instance. Now, Shimmer was founded in, uh, what, 2005, by Dave Prezak and I think Allison Danger, they were partners in that, if I remember that correctly. And it was a pretty much a straight DVD company because there was no streaming platform at the time, so they, they operated almost exclusively. I'm not not almost, they did. They operated exclusively off of DVD sales. But they also went out of their way to give you the absolute best women's wrestling that they could present at that time. Everything that WoW was talking about they're doing now, Shimmer did then. Now, that's not to say that WoW didn't exist before them. They did. They just didn't do as good of a job. The uh, WoW came around in 2000, 2001, uh, and then they went to the pay-per-view, and uh, like that entire pay-per-view, you might have had one match that went beyond five minutes, Shimmer was doing that on a regular basis. They were putting on stellar matches on a regular basis. Go back and watch Mercedes Martinez versus Cerro Del Rey. Fantastic matches that they had there. And they propped that up. And when Wild went away and when they were on a 14-year hiatus, Shimmer was still around. You can point at Impact Wrestling, TNA, who in my opinion, kind of 
rode off of the back of Shimmer. And I'll go one step further to say uh, Glory Wrestling, which is a forgotten uh, entity at this point. But when Glory Wrestling came around, it was more or less a wrestling database that if the women wanted to uh, get the names out there at that time, and, and this is really going back a long ways, <clears throat> but they kind of came around the same time as WOW, almost parallel, and if not a little bit before them, actually. But um, when they presented Glory Wrestling, uh, the, uh, the Glory Wrestling website, you had so many names there that you probably know now that uh, were just there trying to get noticed. That was the point of it. So if you were a wrestling promoter or something like that and you needed to find talent, you could go to this website. You could read where they were from, who they were trained by. You could, They had links to the matches and so on and so forth. They did a lot to try to get the women that were there some kind of attention to where, you know, other promoters would give them the time of day or like, oh, I want to get this person or that person and so on and so forth. Now, that website still exists today, but it is not active. Everything they have there is like crazy old. So, you know, I'm not not telling you to go and, and seek it out necessarily. But the point there being is that they had a lot of people who were there to get their names across and they did. Daisy Hayes, Alexis Lurie, who we knew or went on to become Mickey James, uh, 21st Century Fox. Um, Gail Kim is there, but she she went under a different name. I think she's like Katrina, the Queen of Cats, or you know something like that. Cherry Bomb, who we you know went, well, she stayed as Cherry Bomb. I think she changed her name at some point. I forgot. Uh, Melanie Cruz, uh, the, the, the fabulous Firebird Phoenix, who we now know as the, the Beth Phoenix, and and you can go on and on and on. They, they, there were a lot of people in a lot of different platforms that supported and propped up women's wrestling while WOW didn't exist. Melina Perez, who we just now know as Melina, you can see a ridiculously young picture of her there. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that that's there, and and I'm not saying that to disparage what E.T. as a production did for a while. Like I said, that was their job. Their job was to push WoW and make them look good. And they did. But as a non-connected entity to that, as a third party, as somebody who has nothing to gain either way, I think it's important to say that, well, there were other platforms and there were other people. To say that WoW was the, the kind of kickoff of this revolution ignores a glory wrestling. It ignores a Lewis wrestling, which that's that's forgotten. Uh, I forget what it was, the ladies of United States and International Superstars, something like that. Uh, it ignores the shimmer. It ignores the shine. It ignores the girl fight. It ignores the WSU when they were still pushing it. It ignores the TNA. It ignores even what the WWE did like four or five years ago. When they spent the entire year that they had putting their 
beyond probably what some people even wanted. They they pushed their women to the moon. It was the first ever women's Hell in a Cell. It was the first ever women's Royal Rumble. It was the first ever women's Money in the Bank. It was first ever, you know, it all led to the first ever women's main event at WrestleMania. They kicked off that revolution. What was that, 2019 or 2018 or something like that? They had that revolution or evolution or whatever the case may be years ago. So uh, it, it's, it's understandable why uh, WoW and ET, I don't know why I blinked out on that, but it's understandable WoW and ET Entertainment Tonight positioned WoW in this way but it also is a little, it, it, it skips over a lot. That, that's, that's the best I can say for it in that regard. It, it, it does skip over quite a bit of the other companies who might not have had the same kind of um, access or uh Funding or you know whatever reasons that you may have had, but it, it does bypass a lot of that. And yes, 2019. So I mean, even if you're just going off of what the WWE did on its own, we're we're close to five years on that. So while I was a little bit behind the, the the curve as far as that is concerned, the other thing you know before I get off of it is that uh, this. Looking at some of the clips and footage that they used, Entertainment Tonight, that is, to uh, do this particular segment, it does come off like uh, either they produced this at the beginning of the year, last year, to you know, for it to air, or they just grabbed any piece of footage that they had and didn't bother to update it because they got people on the in the in the clips who aren't there anymore Miami Sweet Heat still wearing their baby face colors which was the colors of uh Miami you know the, you know the University of Miami um someone pictures with Tessa Blanchard in it uh AJ Mendez even though she just left she's a good she's a big talking point so, you know, there's, there is that. So it does come off as a little bit dated at times. But a lot of it, as, as I said, is it's an infomercial for WoW, what they do in front of the camera, what they do behind the camera, you know, that the wrestling hurts. It's, it's, it's all the same stuff that you probably heard already. The last portion of that is, uh, you know, Jeannie Buss is a big talking point, and she's carrying on about uh, what she wants WoW to be. I will say this, David McLean comes off as more realistic in this program than Jeannie Buss does, in that he said something to the effect of, in the next five to ten years, we'll be doing this or that. In the next five to ten years, we'll be doing weekly television shows, we'll be traveling, we'll, be, we'll have a a presence in retail and so on and so forth. That that was his. I was like, okay, well, ten years. That's that's acceptable. I think you can manage that. But um, Jeannie Bus, <laughs> I will say, I will just address that before I get off of it. 
Jeannie Buss's goals are a little bit more unrealistic. One of the things that she's talking about there is they're going to have someday their own Dwayne The Rock Johnson or they'll have their own John Cena. And whereas I can appreciate the effort and the idea that that's something that she wants and she wants a star on her roster, the way that WoW is being produced and or booked at this point will make that impossible. If they stay on the path that they're on right now, that'll never happen. It'll never happen. And I am one of those people that tell you that it will never say never. This is one of them times that I'm going to break that rule. It'll never happen if they remain on the path that they're doing right now. It will never happen if they stay where they are right now. No one on that show gets to establish who they are. No one on that show gets to establish a personality beyond maybe a few talking points. No one on that show gets to stand out opposed to the next person. You have a few people who are kind of carving through that or attempting to, Gambino being one, Jesse Jones being the other. They like the beast, but I don't know. She, she doesn't speak strongly enough to get people on her side that way. The thing that she, she being Jeannie Buss, is overlooking here is that uh, those guys got the platform to actually express who they were. The Rock became The Rock. And even though people were supposed to boo him, he won them over with his entertainment value. Same thing with John Cena. He was a heel. But he won them over with his entertainment value. There's no one there on Wild's roster right now who can do that. All due respect to that roster. But there's, and I should probably rephrase it. I'm not going to say that they can't. They don't have the opportunity to. So, Jeannie Buss, look, I mean, there's two things I disagree with her there. That one, she's going to have, you know, one day they may have her Cena or their version of The Rock. Not if this doesn't change. And two, you know, I, I know that this is all, you know, the narrative here is that, you know, I'm doing this for women's empowerment and, you know, provide an example. And, and that's probably all very true and, and great bravo for her and, and the narrative that wow or the mission, the wow mission statement, you know, great for them for doing that. But there are a lot of other places that are doing that, too. The, the WPN, WPN, I'm saying my own thing. The WNBA, <laughs> for one. The WNBA, for one. They've been, they've been pushing that narrative for, when did they start this, 96? Or just after 96? It's been a long time. And they've been doing it. And it's been it's, it's uphill battle. It is an uphill battle, and WoW is not going to be any different. Uh, they did mention in the documentary or this particular uh, special that she has been paying for this, or she, or she did, I'm not going to say continuing to, but that she paid for this out of her own pocket to support. How much of that will she do? We don't know, but 
I mean, she clearly has an idea of what she wants with it, but if she is not willing to, and uh, her, David McLean, Selena Majors, and whoever else is in charge of booking, if they're not willing to make a star or put the spotlight on somebody who has star potential, that will never take place. And they need to just accept that. They either need to change it to where they can do that or just leave it be. But there is no in-between to that. This is not going to take place if they don't do something to fix that. And speaking of doing things to fix it, I think it's time to go into the ratings of the show. Now, bear in mind, <clears throat> as I said at the beginning, this comes from Russell Nomics, Brandon Thurston, who compiles these ratings. But I also have ratings uh, from boo, about three months back. Roughly. And I'll talk about some of those momentarily. These ratings are reflective of the month of November, the first week of December. November 5th through December 3rd. And I will give the preceding rating, which was uh, the last week of October, so you'll know where they were before we go into where they are. So, the lead-in, the previous week, October 29th, which the main event was the Bees versus Vicky Lynn McCoy. This was a no-contest match. And it had a rating of 0.05, which equates to about 243,000 people watching this show. That's not a high rating, but that is the rating. That is what leads into what I have in front of me now. November 5th, from that week, they lost 2,000 viewers. Their rating point and the ratings point uh, is reflective of 18 to 49. I want to make sure I, I give the demographic that they're shooting for here. Uh, but their rating point went down by two. It was 0 0.03 on November 5th. And the viewership was 241,000 viewers. Like I said, down 2,000 viewers from the previous week. Now, the main event was the Wild Championship, Princess Ozzy versus Tormenta. Uh, generally speaking, the trend has been that the ratings reflect that the championships have not done well on their pro on their broadcast, probably because it's been on there too much, but that's basically what has begun to reflect. Uh, surprisingly, the following week, they shot up by a significant amount of viewers. November 12th, the demographic 18 to 49, the rating shot up to a 0 0.06, which is about 332,000 viewers. They went up 91,000 viewers. The main event for that was Miami Sweet Heat versus Las Banditas. Imagine if that feud had heat on it and people actually wanted to see it that much more 
But somehow, I mean, I, I will admit to you, I am absolutely shocked. Absolutely. Although I'm not shocked about what happened following that. But anyway, the, the Miami Sweet Heat versus Las Bandidas match shot them up just over a quarter of a million by, you know, by 100,000 people or so. Like I said, the viewership went up 91,000 viewers. They also did not have anything to compete against, so I, I would imagine that has something to do with it. Uh, or maybe the curiosity of seeing these two teams go at it. It's quite possible. The next week, November 19th, they lost nearly every viewer that they gained. The demographic, like I said, 18 to 49. The rating, 0.05. The viewership, 249,000 viewers from the previous week's 332,000. They lost 83,000 viewers. The main event for this week was the unsanctioned match of the Beast versus Vicky Lynn McCoy. This is a payoff to the angle that last aired on October 29th. That is three weeks prior to this. So as all they're expecting people to have maintained the desire to want to watch this main event match for three weeks unmentioned and unbothered, and here you are. So they lost a significant chunk. Like I said, almost everybody that they gained, they lost with this uh, with this match. The only competition that was on at this particular week was uh, AEW Full Gear was there. So, I mean, I take that with a grain of salt. It aired the night before. It aired on the 18th. This show was on the 19th. So whether or not that had any effect to it, I doubt it. But, you know, I just want to bring that up. <clears throat> the following week, November 26th, they are... Remaining at a 0.05 rating with their key demo, 18-49. And the show went up. It went up 43,000 viewers. It got them to 292,000 viewers. And the main event for this was the Wild Tag Team Championship is the Tonga Twins versus The Last Call, which I was a little bit like, okay, I'm not overly excited about this match but whatever it did gain viewers i don't know if they tuned in specifically for this match or whether the effect of it helped at all um one thing that i've noticed in terms of trend when i when i look at these ratings from wow is that they do not maintain the audience they get bumped up and then it drops down they get bumped up and then it drops down. This is one of those weeks where it bumped up. It dumped up, like I said, 43,000 viewers for the Wild Tag Team Championship. But it also caused a significant drop the following week. Because if we're going off of them advertising, hey, fans, you don't want to miss this next week, uh, it, it didn't work. 
It didn't give them anything that they wanted to see, and they lost a significant portion of it. The following week, the first week of December, first weekend of December, December 3rd, this aired a 0.03 in the ratings or in the uh, key demo rating. The viewership, 239,000 viewers. They lost 53,000 viewers going into the following week. The main event, the Mother Truckers versus Miami Sweet Heat. This also was the payoff for an angle that spread about three weeks difference. This December 3rd airing is the payoff for a November 12th angle that started. And it looked like outside of their core audience, not a lot of people cared about it. Just seems like, you know, it it just... Their, their fan base, their core fan base is going to watch it. And from what I can ascertain, about a quarter of a million viewers seems to be the wild average on viewership. It goes up, it goes down, but it basically hovers around that mark. Around 250,000 people, as far as ratings are concerned. Uh, it's been about 20,000 thousand people less has been you know maybe a little 20,000 people more but that seems to be basically where they are overall now that's it I just want to go and address some of the ratings that they've had since the uh, the summer if you go back to October the highest rating that they had uh, that month was 312,000. The main event for that was Princess Ozzy uh, versus Penelope Pink. But the rest of the, the month, 277, 270, 255, 243, again, we're more or less hovering around that 250,000 mark which I think at this point is safe to say that that is the core wow audience. Probably, you know, the, the people who are going to watch that, regardless of what wow does, regardless of who's in the main event, regardless of how it's presented or what have you, the ones that I say that go onto wow social media and they're constantly, oh, this is great. This is going to be fantastic. I love you guys. Uh you're the greatest wrestler in the world, you know, all, all of those things. That seems to be the overall uh, group of people that are watching WoW. Preceding that, there are um, ratings that actually did much better. I'm going to get into my notes here so I can uh, give you an accurate, accurate pronunciation. Give you an accurate count on uh, what they had and what they did and, and all that stuff. Because there there is a record high that WoW has as far as their uh, ratings are concerned. That record high is 428,000 viewers. Now, that happened 
on August 20th. The main event for that was Last Call versus the Monsters of Madness. Which really, you know, as far as I can remember, had no special setup to it or angle that was leading into it or whatever the case may be. And they, they actually trended upwards in August. The first week in August, they were at 240. Then they trended up by 117. People got up to 357. Then they trended up again with another 71,000. They got to this to this show. They got to uh, 428,000, almost half a million viewers in August. And then from that point, they started trending down. 428,000 is the record high. The following week, they lost 153,000 viewers, went down to 275, remained at 275, went down to 264, 256. They got up again, and then they dropped back down again That by, by the time they got to September. So I think, as I just said, I think it's safe to say that at this stage, we've identified what the, what the standard or the hardcore wow audience is. And that standard slash hardcore wow audience is basically built around a quarter of a million people. Although, I I hope that they do not continue to trend downwards, but it is a very, very real possibility that they, they could trend down more and and lose more people. They, they've been good at keeping them around 250-ish thousand fans as far as rating is concerned, but... I think they need to do something else if they're going to try and get out of this. They can't just rely on that. I mean, now if Genie Buzz wants to just fork out money to keep them on the air, regardless of what they do ratings-wise, that's one thing. But, uh, I mean, and that's the benefit of being a millionaire or a multimillionaire is that you can do things like that. The average person does not have that luxury. The average company does not have that luxury. Um at this point, you might as well just say the Lakers are paying for a while to exist. That's probably the best way that you can put this at this point. The Lakers are paying for a while to exist. Probably alongside the LA Sparks, but they're paying for the while to exist at this point. That's what happens when you have multi-million dollars coming out of one thing, they can just funnel it over to the next. Now, how long is that gonna happen? Who knows? But that's where they are right now. That is, those are the ratings, and that is where they are in terms of just average viewership. And I would hope at this point either someone in the back or Genie Bus herself would pay attention to that and say, you know, we need to do something to change this before it becomes a problem. I don't think it's a problem just yet. If it were, they're certainly not going to admit to it. You know, if there's one thing that their run on Access TV has taught me is that they will say whatever it is they have to say to the public, regardless of whether they believe it or not. Like, yeah, yeah, we love WoW. And WoW's not going anywhere. It's been great for us. But the second that that changed over, no matter what they said, good. If they, they didn't want it, so they got rid of it. And it couldn't have been that, you know, it couldn't have been that high on the ratings that it was a major consequence to them. They didn't care. They lopped it off. 
And I would think that before they get to a point that they might repeat that process, they may want to address this this issue. One other thing before we go into the actual review of the show is I think it is pertinent to bring up some fans out there are a little overzealous. Just a little bit. And this is not a talking point that I was going to get into, you know, quite frankly. But when I read this particular one on uh, <laughs> on Wild's Instagram, I was like, okay, uh, bro, I think you're going just a little bit too far. And this comes off to me as red flags. And without bringing up his name or, you know, anything that would draw attention to him, he basically said something to the, long, the, to the lines of, uh, I met you, he was, this is on the Pep Riley post, like, I met you and, you know, we talked about my girlfriend, uh, Simone Williams, a.k.a. Princess Ozzy. Now, he tagged her in both of these. Uh, Simone, I, I think Williams is the last name, but anyway, he tagged her in both of these. It's like, and she loves me. I, oh, oh, this is not good. Now, I know some people are like, oh, yeah, he's just saying some stuff. No, no, no. This is how this starts. When they allow people to just be delusional like that, that, that becomes a problem. I'm not saying that he's going to be a danger. I'm not saying that he is a danger. But I would certainly keep my eyes on him if I was Princess Ozzy or anybody else in that company for that matter. Getting on their social media and talking about that one of their stars being in love with you, or you being their their boyfriend, significant other, uh, them being your girlfriend. I mean, it's one thing for you because there's plenty of people that get on there and be like, "Hey, I love so and so. I love Candy Crush. I love uh, Exodus. I love Genesis. I love Jesse." It's one thing for you to do that. It's another thing for you to say that, frame it as if we're in a relationship, whether that be true or not. Tag that person in this statement that they have not responded to and probably are not going to. It gets, quite frankly, borderline scary. I will speak for her in that. I had an entire segment that aired on my on the Women's Processing Network uh, Facebook page uh, called Tales from the Creep where all the interviews that I did, I asked the uh, individual, the woman that I was talking to, did you ever have any tale from the tale of the creep? And more often than not, nine out of ten times, they all had a story to tell, all of them. Now, they were far removed from those situations, so they were able to talk about it and talk about it with some, you know, levity to it. And, yeah, this happened to me, and I was at this, or this person followed me, or, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, man, this is that's not good, and that's not cool. I mean, maybe maybe he didn't mean anything by that, but I would imagine that if you are a fan and you're posting things like that, you should probably learn how to phrase it differently because those young ladies get a lot of flack anyway. They get a lot of people that are 
talking about how good they look, how beautiful they are, and they want to get married to them, and this, they get that anyway. When you do things like this, it is never going to just up and make them fall in love with you. They're not. She's not going to turn around and read that comment, and be like, "Oh my God, I, did, I never knew." So let's let's get married right now, or let's start dating. That's not going to happen. So if you didn't have any intentions for that, if you know that this isn't going anywhere, don't be going out tagging these ladies and stuff like this. All that's going to do for you is you're going to go on a list for them. You're going to go on a list of people to avoid, whether you intended it that way or not, whether it was a joke whether it was, oh, I was just saying that in jest. I didn't really mean anything. Well, however, it is, be careful what you say in those environments online. And that's just open advice. It's not a good thing. It's, it's not going to be cute. It's not going to be per- perceived or considered that way. You should probably watch how that is phrased before they get really nervous around you and start reporting this stuff. And I can tell you with firsthand experience after talking to several of them, they have no bones about reaching out to your family (laughs) if it goes too far. Your mother, your wife, your girlfriend, your sister, they have no bones about doing that or telling the cops that this dude is off his rocker and I need you to watch him. So, if you've convinced yourself that Princess Ozzy is your girlfriend, that you have to tag her in, in two different accounts for her to see it, then, yeah, I, I, would, I would have some concern there. Uh, anyhow, let's go to something a little bit more uh, upbeat and look at the Women of Wrestling, the WOW review for this week. That'll be episode 67. Chronologically speaking, season-wise, it's going to be 215. So you can find all of these things. The title of the show was What's in the Box? And we'll get to why they called it What's in the Box once we get there. So... It begins with a recap. This week, we, we've got David McClain and Nigel Zane doing the commentary. Stephen Dickey's out. And I, 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 I have to go ahead and admit on record that Nigel Zane is doing a good job here. He's doing a, doing a great job, really. He projects so much better. He comes off as a professional and like like commentating was his job. Whereas, and I'm and I I hate saying this about Stephen. Stephen Dickey did not establish a tone or style. I've said a couple of times that he is pretty much a shadow of David McLean. Not that he tried to talk like him or sound like him, emulate him, but in terms of content, he didn't vary away from what David McLean talked about all that much if ever Nigel does the same thing but he's able to present it stronger he he's able to give his even if the sentiments that he and David McClain share 
are exactly that, shared sentiments. He's able to make it sound like he has a different stance on topics here and there. And even, you know, and even when you get past that, even if he's unable to make it sound that way, he's able to sound verbose and and present with some level of authority the, the stuff that he's talking about. He just sounds good on the microphone. And I, I have to give him credit for that. Uh, the first thing that they have is they have Appling Maverick. She comes out to the ringside. She cuts a promo basically on the fans. It's not going anywhere. And she's talking about they should know who she is. I'm not really sure why. Nigel Dane does Zane does say something that I thought was silly and <laughs> that he's like, how could they know who she not know who she is? Well, probably because she hadn't been on TV in four years or, or wrestling in general for four years. That's how they could not know who she is. That that is one of the points where I'm like, okay, this is when they start becoming the voice of David McClain because that is absolutely something that he would say well how could they not know abilene maverick is no star and there's no reason for any of them to know who she is so she calls herself the vip now hopefully she will uh, stick with that rather than the governor's daughter because as i said in the previous podcast what does that even mean and how does that even relate to what she's doing or how she's doing it on this show. It doesn't. So uh, her calling us up to VIP, I think they can work something better with that. It would be much better if they can actually work it and is used opposed to just a nickname. It comes to recap of Amber O'Neill uh, returning to WoW and joining up with Jesse Jones and then beating up on Americana. So there's a little bit of a hey, this is what happened the previous week and picking up from that. The first match that they have is Adriana Gambino taking on Katarina Jinx. My first note that I have here is, is Jinx a babyface now. The last time we saw her, she was a, you know clearly a heel. And now without any sort of rhyme, reason, or explanation like Wild tends to do, she's in back in this arena and now she's, you know, happy and and more uh, fan friendly, shook hands with somebody there. Uh I don't know what it, it, she's supposed to be heels, she's supposed to be babyface. I think she's just defaulted in being a babyface here because she's up against Adriana Gambino. Um, do not, I don't care for the flipping back and forth of these personas. I stick with one or the other. Although I'm sure, as I said, that, you know, look, some people there come and they're just there to be, to, to do the job. Katarina Jinx is that. She's there to do the job. Nothing wrong with that. I just wish that they did not waste time doing vignettes to introduce these people like they're supposed to be stars when they're not. They're not supposed to be stars. They're just there to facilitate a win for their opposition. And they need to just go ahead and accept that. The match starts out with Adriana Gambino charging in, following Katrina Jinx, and Jinx is, you know, rolling around and crawling on fours and rolling through, you know, evading her. Um, when she does get up, she tosses a couple of kicks at Gambino. Gambino uh, 
sidesteps and dodges two or three of them before she rolls out to the floor, does the heel thing. And she's like, oh, hey, no, wait, wait, what's going on here? And, you know, talking to the crowd and like, I'm not not messing around with this. Uh, when she's trying to get back into the ring, Katarina Jenks lunges at her a couple of times, getting on all fours. And Gambino does the smart thing. She grabs her arm and just like drapes it over the the, uh, the bottom rope. There are a couple of points in the match where um, Jinx is in control, but by and large, this is a match for Gambino. Katarina Jinx at some point tries to do the walking on the ropes. I cannot say old school for her because she's just starting it. <laughs> I mean, and and even though it's old school for The Undertaker, he didn't invent it. He got it from the spoiler, and 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 he, even he has admitted that, and so have the commentators. So Katarina Jinx is doing a a, uh, a gimmick that has been you know around for a while, the, the walking of the ropes. Or at least she started to before Gambino does the smart thing and he just yanks her down, which I thought was great. I have said that she looks like a star Gambino, that is, and I'd, I stick with that. She looks great. Looks like a star. <clears throat> and after she gets her down, gets Katarina Jinx down, the match becomes a showcase for Gambino. Works on the arm a little bit, even though that's not the thing that would ultimately give her the win, but she works on the arm a little bit. Uh, knees, leg drops, things of that nature. Katarina Jenks does get the fight back at some point, but to no avail. Ultimately, this match ends with, uh, well, I guess what she calls the chef's kiss. Gambino hooks her up into her cradle neck breaker, drops uh, Katarina Jenks. Hooks the leg, one, two, three, and we're done. It's, I mean, it was a fine match, but it was a squash. However they want to try to relate this, this was a squash. Uh, Gambino cuts a promo after the match, addressing her undefeated streak. This may be one of the more poignant promos that WoW has had in recent years because at least there is a narrative there. She's talking about what has been going on with her, uh, that she is, uh, what is she, like five or six or no? But the point is she's like, oh, I lost count how many times I've won. I'm sure she hasn't, but the point there is that she has an undefeated streak. And it is addressed. And she brings it up. She talks about Dave, Dave talks about it to David McClain and when am I going to get my title shot? This makes sense that Gambino would keep pushing this narrative. Where, why, why am I fighting these losers when I should be wrestling for the championship? Now we know she's not going to do that at this point because she's a heel and, and uh, Maverick is a heel as well. So I doubt that we're going to see Gambino get to that point where she gets a title match unless they're going to do what WoW does and just flip her baby face inexplicably this goes from the match to uh a backstage segment with gi jane and the class master talking in the hallway and they're talking about the trios tournament and that there's a new member that or another member i shouldn't say new there's another member who's uh potentially there that's going to join and they can go and go out there and win the title or the trophy 
as they're talking, Exodus walks up on them, and this is, you know, like, hey, you guys can't win because Exile's going to win. And, you know, the, the entire point of this segment is to put over their trios tournament or their six-woman tournament. Uh, okay. The only thing I was really happy about here is that they chose a different location. Um, but as sure as I said, all right, great, they got a different location here. They go right into the next segment, which is right back into the wild staircase. So we got Campanelli, Coach Campanelli in the air sky, talking at the bottom of the wild steps, and then uh, Goldie Collins walks up and starts talking to him about, you know, how good she is. And, you know, same same song and dance that every other wrestler has on here. And how good I am, and I'm the best in show. She has to speak in her puns. And um, this is played up for absolute comedy. One of the things that gets me about this, and maybe it's just a pet peeve of mine, is that David McClain will not shut up during these segments. He keeps talking over people, trying to explain what the segment is when he don't need to be explaining it. Wait till they're done and then talk about it. But he won't do it, so you know it is what it is. How am I supposed to take Goldie Collins seriously when she's doing absurd things like this? How am I supposed to take her seriously? Oh, I see you talk about the best in show and all that stuff like that. Now she starts talking. Coach Campanelli whips out her whistle. And just to get her to stop, she's like, whatever it is that you're talking about, I'm just not interested anymore. She used the whistle to kind of break it. And then Goldie Collins pulls out her whistle, which no one hears why, because it's a dog whistle. Ha, ha, ha. And then she explains that. I was like, of course you can't hear it. It's for dogs. And then she blows it again, and then you'd see Ariel Sky like rubbing her ears like oh okay well it's for dogs so she can hear it (sighs) it's more dog puns and a a very low bar attempts at humor that's going on in this segment the other thing that I wrote here is that when are we going to get the inevitable Goldie Collins versus Katarina Jinx match when are we going to get the inevitable dog versus cat match in this, this company? Because you know that is coming. You know at some point that match is going to happen. So anyhow, next segment is Goldie Collins, Coach Campanelli with Ariel Sky, going to have their match in the ring. The commentators are still insisting that there was some sort of worldwide search to find the next member of team uh, spirit when clearly they have not left Los Angeles, much less that building to go and find anyone. But, you know, they I guess they have to still sell the idea that, oh, we've been traveling the world looking for the best talent that could possibly be here. Um. <clears throat> This is absurd. This is, is the, the worldwide search is absurd. Not only is the worldwide search absurd, but the match is probably not that much better. I mean, it, it does have its moments, but it's another insanely short match. It's probably about four minutes long. And uh, it, it, this comes off to me, and I will only say for me, 
like an exhibition rather than a competition. It's like a, just an exchange of, I'm going to do this, you do that. And the reason that part of that exists for me is the spot that Goldie Collins does in the match where she does a leapfrog, well, not a leapfrog, she hops over a, a coach campanella that's laying down on the mat. And the moment she hops over her and she's facing the hard camera, she stops what she's doing to start talking to who knows who. Just immediately stop mid-run like, ah, I'm the best and I'm going to call whatever she's saying because I can't read lips at that, that distance. And then she gets caught in the roller. Why would you stop in the middle of a match? I mean, if this were real, if this was some sort of competition, if, if you were going off of the, the idea that this is supposed to be a legitimate wrestling contest, why on earth would you just stop and start talking to nobody? What was this for? This is, it, it was just humor for, for humor's sake. That wasn't funny. And speaking of humor, at some point in the match, Goldie Collins grabs the, the, uh, the hair of, of Coach Campanelli and walks her around like a dog. It, I was just okay, okay, come on. That was how I legitimately felt when I watched this. Like, oh, God, really? You got to take her while she's on her hands and knees and grab her hair like it's some sort of leash and, and walk her around. And the thing that got me about this match, despite the fact that I knew that it was never going to be a win for Goldie Collins, is, I mean, it was easy to see that Coach was going to win this. It, it, there, there was no doubt in my mind that coach was going to win this. That Wild does a very bad job of getting you to believe in somebody one way or the other. It's just, it's just a norm for them. Like I know they wanted you to believe in say Spring Break twenty four seven. But for what reason would you believe in Spring Break 24-7? Why? Why, for, why? why would you ever think that Spring Break 24-7 was capable of winning a match based on how they've been presented uh, on their own show? Why would that even cross your mind? And this is one of those moments. It's like, why would that ever cross my mind when – they have done nothing to get anyone to believe that uh, this team or this person, this individual, whoever, could possibly win. Campanelli wins with her uh, uh, buzzer beater. It's not a. It's not a really much about the match that she can go into beyond that. But yeah, she she wins with her buzzer beater. It was pointed out to me because it, for the life of me, I was like, I don't know where they got that outfit from for for um, Goldie Collins, but it looks really familiar. And then somebody said, yeah, it looks like uh, so-and-so from the boys TV show on Amazon. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. She looks like the, the uh, young lady the, on the show. 
Uh, God, I wish I can't even think of the name of the character right now. Shoot, <laughs> I should have wrote it down. But uh, yeah, she she reminds me of the character on the show. Same color scheme, is little, just a little different, just just enough. I want to say was it Annie uh, Aaron Moriarty? I think that that's the uh, the character name. No, that's not the character name. That's the actress name. Sorry. Um, what was he? April, April, January. Annie, Annie, January. Good lord, I'm just getting all of that messed up. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> Annie January is who she was on the uh, show, and the outfit looks fairly close to that. It, I couldn't name it for the life of me. I, it looked familiar, but I could not name it. It was just fortunate for me that there was a guy that was uh, uh, in the in the hub at work, and he was, and he's a real big comic book fan, and he watches all of those shows. And he looked at it's like, oh yeah, sir, Alpha looks pretty much like Andy January. I was like, ah, that's it. Boom, that's who it is. So yeah, I, I I can say that her outfit is probably very much inspired by Annie January. Now, what that has to do with dogs, I don't know. <sighs> her name pretty much gets that, and <laughs> surprisingly, he didn't he didn't even connect that her name was like okay, Goldie Collins is like a collie and a and a gold you know golden retriever and a and a collie kind of slammed together for a name. I don't know how he missed that. But I guess in his view, like, how did you miss that? She looks like Annie January. So, I don't know. Uh, coach, after the match, makes an announcement like, hey, this is something that you're going to want to stay tuned for. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'm going to come back out a little bit later and we're going to make the announcement. It's like, all right, fine, whatever. I was almost certain, of, like, this is not going to be anything, any big deal. And it wasn't, but we'll get there. The next segment had the new team of Sugar and Spice, the Mighty Mites, doing a backstage promo, and they're speaking in a lot of flavor of puns, like we're going to spice things up and like you know the same thing that you expect out of everybody on WoW. It wasn't a normal video package. It was more a promo than a video package, but the highlighted comment that I have in my notes is could they win? Because under normal circumstances, if they had any promo or video package preceding their match, it is a guarantee for a loss. And it is good to know that WoW has not changed a damn thing. After they did that segment, last call cuts the promo at the bottom of the infamous WoW Steps. And they're still claiming to be number one contenders. How long is this supposed to carry on? They've been beaten clean by the Tonka Twins twice now. Granted, the victories are like weeks apart in terms of broadcast. But how long are we supposed to carry on with this? It's not like there's even a disputed finish with the match. I would understand that they had some level of dispute. But it's been two clean wins why are they even in the mentioning that they're no more contenders they definitively lost they should not even be in the conversation for a title match 
And hopefully they're not. Uh, this brings in the Mighty Mites. Now I'm going to stop for a second and I'm going to go back to what I talk about with WoW and when they do things like this. So last week when we saw them being introduced, now bear in mind this is their debut match so you knew that they had to lose. Last week when they brought them up or when David McClain brought them up and they showed the graphic on the screen, it's like next week fans is the debut of the Mighty Mites. You don't want to miss it. Like they were a big deal. Never seen him on the show, but he presented them like they were a big deal. Got the graphic and all that stuff, and he's talking it up. And then we have them do their promo, like, we're going to provide some spice and flavor to your life, and yada, yada, yada. And then they proceed to get into the ring and get completely demolished. Like, why why did you even bother wasting airtime promoting them? This is not the thing that I would say that needed to be promoted to tune in next week for. I'd have changed the channel. If I looked at this and I saw this match that he hyped up like it was some sort of big deal, I would have changed the channel off of this. And I wrote that down. I was like, this would have made me just flip the channel. This is a ridiculous match. This is nothing to make the Mighty Mice look like they were worth anything. I'm not even sure that they should go by the name the Mighty Mice because when they come out to the ring, yeah, they were referred to as the Mighty Mice, but from that point on, it was just sugar and spice, sugar and spice, sugar and spice. Like, well, just make that their name. And this team is ridiculously tiny. I mean, ridiculously tiny. They got to be like four foot something. For foot nine, for foot ten, but they 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 cannot be five feet. They can't be. They are so small. And last call plays that up completely. Like they they are literally treating them like kids, like like you would a child. They're taking swings at them while both Wrecking Ball and Randy Del Rey have their hands on their foreheads, holding them back. Showing them that they have absolutely zero chance against them whatsoever. And it's not like that narrative changed anywhere in this match. They were just thrown around and abused and shown to be absolutely inferior to this team at nearly every turn. So why did they get some sort of promotion like this? Why did they get graphics why do they have these promos why do they do that if the best that they're going to be is a job team and as and let's be honest that's all they're going to be that's all that the mighty mites are ever going to be in this company if they started off with this here they're not going to get any better the best that they could have done for this team is reverse the main event Put last call in there against the Tonkins for a final time and just be done with them, which, you know, they should have been done with anyway. And have Las Bandidas go up against them. So at least Las Bandidas would get a, a win. The Mighty Mites wouldn't be in there with a team that is completely towering over top of them. And 
Banditas could probably have gotten them a better match and made them look better for at least a period of time before ultimately polishing them off. The Minimize didn't did do nothing. They 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 did nothing relative to that. And just the fact that they had them at a position where Del Rey and Wrecking Ball are holding them by their forehead while they're wildly swinging like two idiots, like let me let me go, I'll, I'll kick your butt, you know, like it, neither one of them thought to to back away from their hand or swat the hand away or nothing, just like the two kids against an adult and an adult that just didn't want to hurt them. Like, okay, kids, calm down. You know, it, that's what it looked like. Why would you ever take this team seriously? Why, why would you ever, ever, ever take this team seriously? And then what's worse is that you had David McClain trying his best to hype them up like there's something. Well, they got to be careful because they're high flyers and they're, you know, they'll do such and such. And okay, yeah, they were high flyers, all right? They flew high into a punch in the mouth when they came off the ropes and tried to go through the, you know, tried to do it like a suicide dive. They both flew directly into a forearm shot. This is ridiculous. This match was absolutely ridiculous. I had somebody sitting in the room with me while I was watching the leg and did not know who this team was, okay? Did, did not hear the name, did not know what they were. First thing out of a mouth, who are they supposed to be, ketchup and mustard? Based on the fact that they got this bright red and bright yellow outfit. And the sad part about that is that, you know what, you're not that far off from the truth. I know she was trying to be funny. I know she was trying to be, you know, ridiculous and whatnot. I was like, but the sad thing is, is that you're not that far off. Especially when the better portion of what they did was talking spice puns. Now, did they have a portion of the match where they got to do something? Yeah, they did. They got, you know, a couple of duck through their legs, drop kick, and did, you know, come off the top, the back of Wrecking Ball <clears throat> as a... Um, as a quick little spot. I don't even remember which one it was that did it. Probably Spice. But but really, who cares? It doesn't make a difference. They're probably two talented young ladies, but this was not the way to introduce a new tag team if you had any intention of getting any mileage out of them. Having them look like just two jobs. Even the fact that they would double team and try to illegally, I mean, because that's basically what it was. Even the fact that they tried to do stuff illegally double-teaming them didn't work. They did a blind tag. They had both of them in the ring. One of them's hammering away comically at the stomach of Raina Del Rey. The other one's behind her, ready to do a schoolgirl. And that didn't even work. <laughs> so, like, as soon as she goes up into the ropes, Del Rey just does a hip toss, boom, you're done. Flatten you out on your own partner. And it's like the, the best that they tried to do as the underdog was nothing. <laughs> like the, the best efforts that they could do showed to be completely ineffective. She, she tries to do a, uh, 
Well, what would you even call this? See, uh, I, and I don't even know which one is what. The one in the red will say. <laughs> she gets both Rainer Del Rey and Wrecking Ball. She gets both of their wrists and she tries to go do one of those maneuvers where they come off the ropes and and use that as a point of leverage to get an arm drag in. Didn't make it anywhere. Neither Wrecking Ball nor Del Rey go down. They both yank her right back up and toss her throat first into the ropes. I'm like, come on. They might as well, you know, this would be the equivalent of uh, back in the day of the Crockett promotions saying, all right, then next week, guys, it's going to be the Mulkey Brothers against the Legion of Doom, and it's going to be great. Or, or if they had the conquistadors taking on demolition back in the day, and it, it's going to be a main event anywhere in the world. No, it's not. Sorry, it's not. You might like them personally. You might like the Mogi Brothers. You might like the conquistadors, but they have been presented as a team that is there to lose. And that's what they did. That's what Sugar and Spice did. They were a team that was there presented to lose. And you got people that are on their site like, oh, this was an awesome match. No, it wasn't. They did fine, but it was a job match. This is one of those matches that I would have saw on a Saturday morning back in the day, back when they still had squash matches. The only difference is that the squashies were people that had a name attached to them. For better or worse, they had a name attached to them, Sugar and Spice. But it's just a squash. Uh, getting past this, uh, ultimately, um, last call wins easily by slamming one of the mites on each other. So I'm not sure what the mighty mites or sugar and spice or whatever you want to call them was supposed to get out of this. They did a few moves, I guess, that were, I guess, perceived as outquicking their opponents or attempting to outquick their opponents. But like I said, they flew high, right? They flew right into a punch in the mouth when they tried to double suicide dive right out through the ropes. I mean, and it, it just looked ridiculous. <laughs> it just, how can you believe in this team? How can you possibly believe in this team when they just got squashed immediately? And that's how last call won. It was it was a double pin at that. Like they did that, and then they just you know, bam, used her partner as a as a weapon to her own uh, 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 partner. Use sugar to slam on spice or vice versa, and then they double pin them, and it was over with. So we moved on. It was ridiculous. It was fun for last call. If you're a fan of Last Call and you just want to see them beat up on somebody, then this is a fun match. But if it was supposed to be competitive by any standard or any metric, this fails miserably. And if it was supposed to be some sort of introduction to make the Mighty Mites look good, it also fails miserably. And the next segment, Campanella and Aeroskai come out with a box with somebody walking underneath it um, to introduce their, their new member, the first thing that I thought about was the old adage that Jim Cornette talked about when he said that Vince Russo didn't understand. It's like, well, don't you know anyone that comes out of a box is instantly over? Which was a sarcastic remark to Russo at the time. 
Uh, but apparently he took it literally. Uh, it feels like Wild took this literally too. Like, I, I don't know. The, all right, guys, we got this box. And this is the newest member of Team uh, Spirit as we searched the world to find our new talent. Uh, and here she is. They take the box off, and it's Pep Riley. And, and I'm sure you get the joke here that Pep Riley is the equivalent of a Pep Rally, you see, because you're, she's a cheerleader. So Pep Rally, Pep Rally, ha, 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 ha. All good, good stuff. This, this is A-class material. So Pep Riley is there, and she is the new replacement for Randy Rara because as good of friends as they are, they let this woman disappear without attempting to look for her whatsoever. <laughs> they just let her fade off into obscurity, and the best that they could do is just, let's just get another cheerleader to replace her. And so we have that. Campanelli does the, the, the whole speech and talks her up and like, ah, we got team spirit and yada, yada, yada. And they go doing cartwheels and flipping around the ring to show who they are. I am relatively sure that team spirit will continue to do well because they've already done well and they just, you know, swapped out one member for another. Uh... This really comes off to me like a, uh, I was trying to find a nice way to say it, but it's an interchangeable part. I've said it a couple of times already, but this, I just got to come back to it. it. It just comes off like it's an interchangeable part. And this really solidifies that in my mind. It is... We lost one cheerleader. Let's get just get another one. Let's put another one in there, and that's pretty much what they did. They just got another one, and we're back to where we were. She is now what fifth or sixth in a long line of of, of cheerleaders. We we had Patty Pizzazz back in the day, Randy Rawrod number one, uh, or whatever Patty Pizzazz's name was at the time. Randy Rara, number two. Pep Riley. There's another one, something Sparks. I'm missing two or three in between that. It's just like this show is determined and to have a cheerleader no matter what. So, I don't know. The odd, I don't want to say the odd thing, but... Um, Randy Rara is, or the former Randy Rara, I should say. Surprisingly, uh, the the gimmick that she uses on the independence is is almost like nowhere near that. Somebody had posted um, uh, a link to her act, her Instagram, and when you look at that. So like there's nothing about her that comes off as a cheerleader, which only makes me go back to things like when he's like, "Well, the, the gimmick is you." I'm not entirely sure about that. Like, I'm pretty sure if she had a desire to be a cheerleader as a wrestler, if that was the gimmick that she wanted to have, she probably would have done it. 
as it is, she comes off like uh, another mean girl, quite honestly. Uh, in that regard, I will defend Wild and saying they, they have too many of those already. Lana Starr is the mean girl. By proxy, Penelope Pink is a mean girl. Uh, Abilene Maverick is now the new mean girl. So, you know, it's... I can see if that were what they were doing and she presented her name. Uh, uh, Kelsey Heather is is the name that she works under. Uh, and apparently... They said that she declined to turn, return for a new season, uh, that she was looking for um, a tryout with WWE. Some people said that she had a tryout with WWE. <clears throat> and one, one, I, I am not going to say that this is going to happen. I cannot verify this. I have not found the information to verify this, so take it with a grain of salt. It had been posted in the... Uh, and one of the, the online groups that talks about that, that she had a WWE tryout and that she's most likely either NXT or Impact bound. Again, I do not know that for it to be factual. I can see when you look at her Instagram, it does come off like she wants to pursue wrestling in a different vein. Uh, again, Kelsey, uh, what was it? I just said it. Kelsey Heather. <clears throat> is the uh, name that she works under. And um, it is very likely that her aspirations to be a pro wrestler do not coincide with um, with Wow. And she had been a cheerleader, which is probably why she got the cheerleader gimmick. But when you look at her just as her... Indie wrestling name, Kelsey Heller, again. There's nothing about her that comes off as a cheerleader. It doesn't come off like she it, it doesn't come off like she is the dimwit that Randy Rara had been portrayed as. Uh you see her on I mean, she had a clip of herself on um uh Shine. Uh, as part of a tag team partner, the OMGs. So, you know, there, there's almost nothing about her that is relative to uh, the Randy Rah-Rah persona. So I think that's probably the best thing there is that, you know, she probably just left. Her aspirations do not coincide with what WoW has. And rather than to give up on the, the cheerleader thing, they just found someone else to slot into that spot. So, we've got the first versions of the new Team Spirit being shown. Campanelli and, and uh, uh, Ariel Sky now have their third member, and, and I think I said it before, if I were a betting man, they're probably in the, one of the top teams in the running to win in that trophy. Then we go to the main event. The main event being Las Bandidas with Sofia Lopez for the Tag Team Championship, mind you, versus the Tonga Twins. This match made it very 
difficult for me to care. Not that anyone there performed badly, but it made it very, very difficult for me to care about this. Why, somebody might ask if you're hearing this for the first time, I will tell you. This match took place on what, December 23rd, or or at least aired on December 23rd, not took place on, but it aired on December 23rd in some areas, December 24th, either that Saturday or Sunday. Los Bandidas has not won a match in three months. Over three months. I'm being generous to say three. Their losing streak goes back to the summer. August. August is the last win that they have on record. August 5th. Team that they defeated, Jennifer Flores and Steffi Slays. A team that loses to pretty much everybody. Any other team that they went against that had any sort of uh, track record in that company, the Mother Truckers, who they lost to multiple times. Miami Sweet Heat, who they lost to you know another heel team who they lost to, I don't want to say brutally, but very convincingly. Team Spirit who they lost to, the Tonga Twins, who the last time they fought them was also a title match, and they lost to them in September. This is very hard to bypass that and overlook it and say that, well, they have a chance now. They have lost and lost and loss, and loss, and loss. Why would I ever look at this match and think that, oh, okay, well, this is going to be different. The booking didn't even bother to try to give them some wins leading into a championship match or some wins leading into a major angle. Los Manditas is done. They're done. They have nothing left. All they're there for is just to be a relatively high-ranking job team to the other teams that are there. They can't buy a win. And Sofia Lopez, by proxy, has become a third- or fourth-tier manager. There, There was... No reason for me to look at this match and think anything differently. How did they even get the match? That wasn't even explained. I mean, beyond the fact that you could always pass it off like, hey, well, the Tonga Twins just have an open contract. You could always pass it off as that. That is always the possibility. But seriously, why, why are they even in this match? They already had a tag team championship match to the same team, and they couldn't do it. Then they lost to the Mother Truckers. Then they lost to the Miami Sweet. I mean, they lost to everybody. Why are they even here? They have been jobbed into oblivion. And whereas, I want to give them the credit to say, whereas they have 
performed well, probably better than the Tonga Twins deserve. Not that they're bad people, <clears throat> but between the two of them, I would say Los Banditas, who are, you know, they're not sisters, but between the two of them, Sanchez and Rivera come off as, as the more polished team, but they don't get that. They do not get the opportunity to really shine like that. They should have had some kind of wins leading into a championship loss or leading into a major angle loss, especially if they were going to be attached to Lopez because, like I said, it makes Lopez look bad by proxy. This, I wrote down on my notes when I was watching this, the Banditas performed great, but they have no resume of victory for me to care about this. The bulk of the match is them uh, cutting off chaos. You know, they put and they're putting the heat on her once they cut her off. But it's essentially the you know the, what you would expect out of it. They, they double team her for a little while. Chaos tags off to her sister Kona. Kona comes in, she does the cleanup, and then they just win. They do a double Samoan drop and they beat them flat. There's no debate to it. They just they just win. This is this is absurd to me. I'm sure there are, you know, the the wild faithful like this match was fantastic. I mean, never mind the fact that the the video of this match is like seven, well, let's say eight minutes long. Three minutes of that is the intro. So the match is probably about four and a half, five minutes. Now, I will admit this much, you know, because I know I get on them with their time frames a lot. When you are an hour program, it is very difficult to squeeze out a match that's going to go 10 and 15 minutes long unless you're going to sacrifice, you know, a good chunk of your show. That is that much is absolutely true. But every once in a while, every once in a while, it would be nice if they did a lot some time to make the match look like it was a lengthier, more intricate contest instead of just, you know, well, we're going to do these four minutes and then we'll just beat you clean. We'll beat you flat in the middle which is what it was. It was just them beating them flat in the middle, and that's what happened. McLean says that while represents the best women wrestlers in the world, I do not see that at all. They have some fantastic talent there. I'm not going to say that they don't. I will never discount that they have talented women there. As I just said, the Banditas, the Tonga Twins are talented. They probably need more polish, but they're talented. Jesse Jones, uh, Fury, uh, uh, returning uh, Amber O'Neill, former NWA Women's Champion, Abilene Maverick, former NWA Women's uh, Champion, Exodus, Genesis, you know, uh, I could probably go on if I was picking through their roster. There's a lot of talented people there. Wow does not necessarily give them the platform to show that. And I think there are a few of them, a few. I just talked about Randy Rara and her decision not to return, at least this season. 
<clears throat> along with Flores, we talked about her before. We talked about Wrecking Ball before. There are a few of them who I think desire a little bit more out of their wrestling than what they're getting right here. It's just it's probably not meeting what they need out of their career. Leah Makoa, who is, you know, left a couple of months ago. Twitch the gamer, who left several months ago. And there, you know, there are a few. But it also comes back to me feeling like, okay, you know, this only shows how replaceable they are. No one there is a big enough star, which goes back to what I said about um uh the the, the Genie Bus saying that we're, we want our own rock or our own Cena. You're not going to get that. Everybody there is the same thing. Everybody there performs at the same level. Everybody there, more or less, with the exception of a segment here or a segment there, everybody there more or less performs at the same level. There's not going to be any difference to this. It's, it's a shame. This, Matt, this show... For me, and I'll only say for me, is completely passable. I would be interested in the next month or so to get the ratings to see what this did. I cannot imagine that, you know, unless it's just morbid curiosity, I can't imagine that this did high. I would be shocked if it did, but I, I cannot imagine that it went high. Uh, the the end show notes that I had, the Mighty Mice jobbed out in their debut. The VIP nickname sounds better than the governor's daughter, in my opinion. Uh, David McClain comes off to me like the guy in the theater who just can't stop talking to the damn screen. Uh, and other than that, there, there's nothing here. I mean, Gambino and Katrina Jenks is probably the closest thing that you have to some sort of ongoing thread of of an angle or or a storyline but they they don't really have much there um go to college campanelli filler match mighty mites last call filler match banditas tonga twins filler match none of those have any sort of real merit towards what the program is and that said I will close on what is the preview for the upcoming episode. As I'm recording that, it'll come on uh, tonight. <laughs> so I don't know when this is uploading, so this might be out of sequence for you. You might be, you know, listening to this past tense. <clears throat> so, but just take this with, like I said, just for what it is that uh, I'm going to read you the press release. Just to reflect on a few things before I close this up, because this has been a long show. The episode is going to be called Welcome Back. This is episode 16. This will be, what, 216? Uh, I just hit my uh, microphone post. Sorry about that. Um, it reads, with Amber O'Neill by her side, Jesse Jones makes her intentions towards her former tag team partner, Americana Crystal Clear. With Amber... By her side, I don't know why they wrote that twice, but this is how they wrote it. But Amber by her side, however, Jesse might just provoke another former wild superior to step up. Gloria Glitter aims to make a statement against Steffi Slays while Holiday tries to tame Chainsaw once and for all. 
Candy Crush looks to regain the support of her friend, Princess Ozzy, in her match against Genesis, who's just as determined to show Team Exile that that she's just fine without them in her corner. I read that because I wanted to say very little about this I care about. Very little. If you go onto their YouTube channel and you were reading this as some sort of surprise, they will have, this is another chance they immediately spoiled that surprise. Just in the thumbnail, they immediately spoiled the surprise of who the returning wild superhero is. I'm not going to say it in case, you know, you want some sort of shock. But the thumbnail gives it away instantly. Somebody needs to talk about who is editing the shows and who is doing the thumbnails and the video uploads. If you're trying to surprise the people that are watching your show, don't do things like this. Gloria Glitter, I'm fine with. We haven't seen her in a while. But really, it aims to make a a statement against Steffi Slays. Come on. Holiday tries to tame Chainsaw once and for all. When have they fought each other to begin with? And quite honestly, I legitimately forgot about this feud. If I can call it a feud to begin with. I legitimately forgot about this. It's been so long. We haven't seen them interact in a month, and they still haven't even explained why they are at odds with each other beyond the fact that they just walk up to each other every once in a while and they stare, and then the other one backs off. What is this even supposed to be about? And then we have Candy Crush looking to regain support from her friend, Princess Ozzy. This is an angle that they started probably two months back without me having to look through my notes. But it's been at least a month and a half ago. Never mind the fact that both Candy Crush and Princess Ozzy have both been on the show since this time and it has not been addressed, brought up, it hasn't been mentioned, it hasn't been shown in the video package, hasn't been talked about in the promo, none of it. It's just, we expect you to remember these things when we just bring it up. Two out of the th- half of this show, I care nothing about. Because it's been so long, why would I care They let it cool off. Holiday and Chainsaw, an inexplicable rivalry over nothing that has not been explained once I'm supposed to care about. And then this whole Team Exile thing. We don't even know why they started beefing in the first place. And we're supposed to care about them. And Princess Ozzy and Candy Crush Why is this important? I I, I honestly just, I don't get this. I don't. And, of course, Bullets and Bourbon, which I'm sure they're not going to go by that name on WoW, Amber O'Neill and Jesse Jones against 
Americana and her surprise guest, who I guess happened to be in town that week when all this was going down. Gloria Glitter versus Steffi Slays may be the only match on here that I would even remotely look at with some sort of level of entertainment because there's nothing attached to it, and I know who's going to win. Um, Steffi Slays ain't winning this match. I will be absolutely dumbfounded and shocked if she pulled one out of out of the hat. And that's what it would be. It would be out of that. But Steffi Slays ain't winning this. And there it is. That is that's wild for you. That is the entirety of this show. That was the review. In my opinion, it is a completely passable show. Not that it didn't have good people in it. Not that it doesn't have people who didn't perform to the utmost of their ability. But if I will stand on this until they do something different. If WoW does not change the format, there is no reason for them to ever sit there and be like, well, we're the best in women's wrestling. There's too much other content out there. There's too many other places and too many other avenues where wrestling fans can go. The only thing that they have to stand on is the people who don't know about it. The people that watch that Entertainment Tonight special and have no idea that Impact Wrestling exists, who have no idea that MLW exists, or NWA, or AEW, or Independence, or Shine, or Shimmer, or this, those are the only people that's gonna look at that and be like, well, okay, yeah, this, this is women's wrestling, I didn't know that existed. Those are the only people that are gonna see that and care. Outside of that, they have a hurdle to jump just with the fans who don't care about women's athletics, much less wrestling, women's athletics. And again, to say nothing of the fact that they got to get past the fans who look at that and like, yeah, that's okay, but did you see Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey or Becky Lynch taking on whoever? Or Trinity Fatu when she went against Deanna Perrazzo in the main event of their streaming, you know, pay-per-view or whatever the heck. You know, those are the things, those are the people that they got to contend against. That's where some of those girls who are leaving are trying to get to. Twitch the Gamer has been on Ring of Honor television. Now, I don't know if that's really helping her at all, but as Vert Vixen, I'm sure she's getting more... Uh, respect out of the wrestling community rather than being on WoW as Twitch the Gamer. I'm sure Leia Makoa, I, I forget the name that she works under on the indies, is probably getting more views and respect from the wrestling community from that than as Leia Makoa on WoW. And that's the decision that a lot of them have to make. Quite honestly, do you want to be, you know, on WOW, which is, you know, national television, syndicated, gets a lot of coverage, part of essentially the CBS family and, you know, airing globally. That's one thing that, I mean, you, you can't take that away from WOW. Regardless of what I say about the product 
what you know the, the the booking or what have you they do air globally not all over the globe but they air globally I think Australia and, and uh, portions of Europe and Canada I think it certainly is not going to you know diminish unless they do something really terrible and their ratings just bottom out I doubt that it's going to go, but and they also got a multi-millionaire backing them up. She could probably keep funding this as long as she feels like it. Like I said, the Lakers are probably paying for this show. You can make that decision and be on that show because it's comfortable and you only got to be there maybe, what, three or four times out of a year and do a ridiculous amount of tapings when you go. I mean, Jesse Jones said it in that uh, special. We do about 16 to 18 matches a day when they do their tapings because it's marathon tapings and they do all of them for the next three to four months in a weekend which to I guess the average viewer sounds like oh man that's incredible to me that's crazy at at least crazy in the sense of trying to keep some level of continuity or you can do all those things, or you can bet on yourself and try to take your brand and your talent and go find whether you can get on with a Ring of Honor slash AEW or Impact, TNA, MLW, NXT, NWA, WWE. You can try and go for that. And and let's be fair. If you're at WoW right now, that's a solid, steady thing. Probably not enough for you to just quit your job over at this point, but it's a solid thing, and you know that you can come back to it. You got to really be willing to roll the dice and bet on yourself to make that mark if you're leaving WoW. And I and it's impressive to anybody that does. It's impressive to anybody that does. Much the same way I said about Guys like Cody Rhodes, when they're like, you know what, this isn't working for me, I need to go. And maybe I'll come back one day. Might take three, four, five years, but maybe I'll come back one day. Some of those girls that left WoW, you know, they may have to do the same thing. They got to roll the dice, see whether they can go. That And ultimately, getting back to the point, that is the decision that they are probably going to have to make. Whether they are going to sit in the wow and just be relegated to where they are or go someplace where they can probably get themselves over based on their talent. And with that, I will close this program. Thank you for tuning in. It has been exceptionally long. Like I said, it was a lot to unpack. But I appreciate you t- tuning in. I hope the chapter markers help so you can jump to what you want to hear when you want to hear it. And if you are so kind, like, share, subscribe. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast, please you know download. You might want to leave a comment or like it there. Subscribe to it there. If you're on YouTube, <clears throat> like I said, do the YouTube things. Like, share, subscribe. Your comments are always welcome. I appreciate it because some of you provide me with information that I was not aware of at the time. Uh, So if you know anything about some of these wrestlers that I have not mentioned or that I'm unaware of, please keep that information coming. I do love it. uh, And I do love that you share it with me. 
Uh, also, for those who are new and have not found that, you can uh, find all links to everything that the WPN and this program does on the website, WPNWrestling.com. Everything that I do or all links feed out to that. Catch the 24-hour feed of former matches featuring some faces that you may know. Yeah, you can get all the podcasts that have been done. They all feed there. And if you really want to go extra the mile, you know, the extra mile and support, you can hit the shop link and purchase a shirt or some other piece of merchandise thereof. I am uh, looking to produce some new ones as time goes forward. So thank you for all of that thank you for tuning in i appreciate it and in closing as always this is mr green saying that this is mr green saying so long and we will see you on the next go round take care everybody thank you for listening to the wpn's rights and wrongs of pro wrestling if you have questions or comments please contact us via our facebook or our youtube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.